You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19. So, Secretary Wiesman, thank you so much for joining us. If you could open up by just giving us a quick overview of the big picture of where are we in Washington state in the pandemic and in the response. Great. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me uh, with you today. So as you know, Washington was the first state in the country to have a case and it all started on January 19th, now over two months ago, when a Snohomish County resident sought medical care at a clinic and was very astute and told his provider that he had traveled to Wuhan. And the provider was very astute and uh, quickly worked with public health to get the person tested. And so from those days um, to now, we have uh, been seeing increasing number of cases. We currently stand at about 2,580 confirmed cases and 132 deaths. You know, throughout there, I think folks know that we had an outbreak, a large outbreak in one of our um, skilled nursing facilities, uh, which is really a very high risk environment where you have folks who are elderly and with a lot of chronic underlying uh, conditions. That certainly um, early on in the outbreak was very serious in terms of having a cluster like that. This was the life care center in uh, Kirkland? Yes, it was. Yes. And it just uh, shows how important it is that we protect uh, those facilities uh, in terms of making sure we do everything to limit visitors to those facilities and make sure that the staff uh, who are working there really don't have any symptoms. And did that really galvanize the response, that shocking episode? I would say that really caught everybody's attention immediately in terms of just how dangerous this uh, virus can be, especially, again, for those who are elderly and have underlying chronic health conditions. That woke everybody up, I think, and to see just how quickly that could spread. And, you know, that it kind of, because it was flu season, that, you know, some of these symptoms could also be associated with the flu. And if people aren't paying attention and taking this seriously, uh, it can get out of hand in a moment's notice. Thank you. On testing, you have the flu study there uh, in King County and some efforts to develop tests. Where are you in terms of advancing the testing? And tell us a bit about why that is so essential to the response. Yeah, testing is really critical to the response because, um, number one, uh, we need to isolate people as soon as we can once they know that they're infected with uh, COVID-19 because this is highly infectious and it's really important that uh, people don't put others at risk. And it's been a huge challenge with the testing in this country, both in terms of the availability, the test, how the supplies for that. It's really critical to the response. And this new effort with the Seattle Coronavirus um, Assessment Network called SCAN is um, an approach to actually 
test people from across the greater Seattle and King County area to get a cross-section of people from neighborhoods and adults and children, uh, whether they're showing symptoms or not, to really better understand how much of this virus might be in the community. Um, so that's what we call kind of a surveillance study, and it's really critical to our understanding uh, the overall picture. It's critical, obviously, once people show symptoms um, that we get them tested, but this gives us a better sense of the population uh, level of infection. So that is unprecedented, that type of study, isn't it, in the United States up to this point? And it's supported by Bill Gates out of private investment, I believe. Yeah, there have been efforts to, you know, do this recently with flu surveillance, influenza, to get a sense of what strains might be out there and uh, just how prevalent flu is in the community. So doing this now with COVID is absolutely critical. And a number, I think, of studies like that are starting up now across the United States. Thank you. I want to go over to my colleague, Andrew Schwartz. Thanks, Steve. Secretary, since yesterday, there's been 111 new cases. Do you feel like it's slowing down? Do you feel like you guys are containing it? So what I would say is I think, um, as you say, we keep getting new cases anywhere from 100 some to 200 some cases a day. So we definitely have not peaked yet. Um, we are seeing some encouraging signs that the rate of increase is not as fast as seen in other parts of the country and certainly, for example, in New York City. But I will say that we're also uh, very concerned about sort of now outside of the Puget Sound area of Washington state. We're starting to see, you know, a number of cases increase in uh, Yakima, Whatcom County, Skagit, um, and other places in the state where, um, you know, this could also very quickly get out of hand if, if people aren't sort of following our, our directives and orders to stay home and stay healthy. Now, we're hearing in New York and other places that ICUs in particular could get overwhelmed very quickly. What's the status in Washington state right now with that? And are you scrambling to procure critical elements like ventilators and ICU beds? Yeah, great question. Um, so we have been really trying to free up all the hospital space that we can in our state to prepare for a surge. So we stopped elective surgeries and procedures uh, in our hospitals. We also stopped uh, dental um, kind of procedures uh, to free up the personal protective equipment. We have moved um, children out of our sort of non-children's hospitals into the children's hospitals to free up beds. So we have really been doing everything we can to make as much bed space um, available in our hospitals for any potential surge that we might be seeing here. So we're trying to decrease that pressure um, on the system. So far, I think that's uh, helping us out a great deal because at the moment um, we are able to handle the volume of cases, but we are very, very cautious um, about that and uh, concerned that capacity could be overwhelmed pretty quickly. And yes, we are scrambling to procure um, supplies, the personal protective equipment for our healthcare workers, that being uh, the masks and gowns and gloves uh, to help keep them safe uh, and procuring uh, ventilators. There really is this global shortage right now in the supply chain and uh, getting this uh, equipment is really, really hard to come by. 
and it is a scramble everywhere. Is it a free-for-all? I mean, it looks to me like there's been very little kind of rationalization coming from the federal level to try and uh, coordinate the markets and the source supply chains and direct them to the places that are most acute. It looks like states are sort of on their own to compete against one another for oftentimes hyper prices. Yes, it is an incredible scramble and confusing out there because everybody is sort of right now out there on their own uh, competing against each other. You know, we have the Federal Strategic National Stockpile, which we're able to tap into and has been helpful. At the same time, you know, I think we're really calling on uh, the federal government to really work with manufacturers, get this organized, get them to produce the product we need, get manufacturers to retool for the production of personal protective equipment and, and ventilators. You know, we're doing that in our state right now, working with the manufacturing industry, seeing who can uh, retool our state's uh, correctional industries program out of our prisons is producing gowns and working on masks. We have distillers of alcohol who are uh, producing uh, alcohol for uh, being able to put into hand sanitizers. So I think we have to keep pressing the federal government for a much more coordinated, forceful approach to taking a national approach to this rather than all of us doing this on our own. John, I didn't uh, mention at the outset that CSIS for the past two years has had a high-level commission on strengthening America's health security, and Kelly Ayotte and Julie Gerberding are co-chairs, and we have six members of Congress, including Senator Patty Murray, who has been very active. And we also have Trevor Mundell and Scott Dowell from the Gates Foundation and Steve Davis as commissioners. So we've had a very, very strong linkage over this entire period to the community of leaders in Seattle. And it's very impressive how much leadership there is on these matters. I mean, I, it's hard to find a figure in Congress stronger and more assertive than Senator Murray. Yeah, we're uh, really proud of the work that she and our congressional delegation and the business leaders do here in Washington state. They have been reaching out in large numbers, uh, helping us tap into markets. Uh, and we're really um, appreciative of all of their work. I know there's been in the press accounts of how the medical community in Washington is trying to come to terms in a pretty orderly and transparent way around the extraordinarily complicated ethical considerations that come into triage when you face these acute shortages. Can you say a few words about that? Yeah, that, well, first of all, this is a really important topic, and we know that too many severely sick people are going to overwhelm both individual hospitals and the regional sort of healthcare system. We're working really, really hard to flatten this curve and uh, also preparing for potentially harder scenarios where there are more individual patients than there is space in hospitals or staff to serve them or supplies for their needs. So over the past several years, a group of clinical experts in the Puget Sound area developed some guidance around how healthcare might need to be delivered differently when there are these limits of supplies and staffing. These are sometimes referred to as crisis standards of care. And in putting that together with experts, we engage focus groups with uh, everyday citizens to help us identify the underlying values that should drive decision-making. And we have recently reviewed the guidelines and endorsed them. 
But I think what's really critical here is that um, we have to do everything we can to not get to that place where we essentially have to triage the available uh, space and supplies for Washingtonians. And, and really, that means, uh, most importantly, that everyone, not only in Washington, but in the nation, can play a role in preventing us from having to get to that place. And that role is to protect yourself from getting the infection and preventing it from being passed on. So all those things that we've been talking to people about, about washing your hands, don't touch your face if you haven't washed your hands, sanitizing those high-touch surfaces, staying home if you're ill, all of those things coming together, if people do that, and with our governor's recent order for folks to stay home, stay healthy, if we can do that, we can help prevent this surge of patients uh, that might overwhelm our healthcare system. We don't want to get there. If we do get there, we have a plan, but that's got to be absolute last resort. How long do you think we'll all be staying home for? Yeah, so the governor issued an initial order for two weeks, and during those two weeks, we're going to be carefully looking at our data to see if it looks like uh, the infection or the burden is going down, giving us time to also look at our healthcare system uh, to see if it is being taxed in a heavy way. But the governor was clear that that may need to be extended, and you know the challenge that we have here is. Um, these measures take a while to be uh, effective. So uh, because people can take up to two weeks to show symptoms after being infected, you know, the average is around five or six days. What one does today in terms of trying to prevent infection like staying home, you're not going to really see the results of that for up to two weeks. And then on top of that, people in terms of getting ill and sort of really needing health care like hospitalization, that often occurs sort of a week after one starts showing symptoms. So we cannot see sometimes the impact of these for two or three weeks. Um, so for right now, we were asking people to hunker down and stay safe uh, so that we can certainly protect ourselves, protect our loved ones keep those people who are really, really high risk from this infection, uh, you know, those uh, who are over 65 chronic underlying conditions to help keep them safe. John, um, before we run out of time, two last questions. One is, I read that uh, Vice Admiral Raquel Bono is now uh, playing a lead coordinating role. We know her, we've worked with her when she was head of the um, Defense Health Agency and when she was a Surgeon General in the Pacific Command. Uh, and she's been to CSIS many times. Can you tell us a bit about her role? And lastly, what gives you the greatest hope in this very difficult period? Yeah, thanks. Well, we're really pleased to have Admiral Bono with us. She is uh, providing uh, expertise and leadership in the healthcare systems response to be able to increase our surge capacity, to be able to coordinate across our health systems. She's advising the governor, um, working very, very closely with me and state agencies to really address this capacity and strain across the healthcare system. Uh, we're really looking to coordinate that hospital care delivery, our long-term care facilities, clinics, 
and tribal work. So her leadership, her expertise, and her knowledge of sort of the military and the federal response is really adding a lot of value to us. She's only been here three days, and she's already really showing um, her value to us. The thing I think that gives me most hope here is that people want to, I think, do the right things for their family and their community. And as we have been increasingly putting in place these what we call community mitigation measures, you know, um, not having uh, public and private gatherings of certain sizes, asking people to stay home, we're seeing encouraging results as we look at traffic volume data and as we work with our modelers looking at uh, sort of movement data through um, Facebook and other sort of ways of, of getting a sense of uh, the movement of people. And I think what gives me hope is truly that spirit in uh, Washington that we come together, we understand a challenge, we're focused on the goal, and folks really are rallying around that as they should. And uh, just really appreciate everybody staying home and staying healthy. Secretary Wiesman, um, we're really grateful that you would take time out of such an urgent day uh, to share your thoughts with us. And we wish you all the very best in this next phase in what lies ahead. And uh, we're just very grateful and super impressed with your service to the state of Washington. Well, thank you very much and really appreciate everything everyone is doing. We're in this for the long haul. Even you know, if we get out of this initial phase, the risk here is we can't go backwards because not having a vaccine at the moment and not having medication means that once we sort of get to a place where we can relax some of these community mitigation standards, we're going to have to very, very quickly identify anybody who becomes infected and get them isolated because we just can't go backwards. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you.